Good morning. This morning's scripture is from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. I'm Amy Wilson Phelps. I'm the pastor of Morning Star Church. I am coming to you this morning in this pre-recorded format because I tested positive for COVID just this morning. So for those of you who have been around me in person during the past several days, I apologize that I have not been able to contact you directly just yet. I am working on that, but of course I needed to prepare this recording of the message for this morning. I've had a few Sundays to listen to Stuart and to Kathy and to hear the messages that God had placed on their hearts. And it was wonderful to have a break from preaching. I was really excited to be in the pulpit today with you. But this is the next best thing. I'm grateful for the technology that allows us to connect in this way. Because you are loving and caring people, I know that you are wondering how I'm feeling. And I'm feeling okay. I do have some congestion, which I'm sure you can hear. And I've had some chills, but other than that, I'm feeling fine. I would ask for your prayers for my family. We are a very close, affectionate family, so we're kind of assuming that everyone has COVID at this point, but we will be testing the children later today. We certainly would appreciate your prayer for Olivia, who is two years old and, of course, not able to be vaccinated just yet. But we know so many of you have dealt with COVID directly, and so we know that we will be able to pull through this with the grace of God and with the support of our friends and family, and we're grateful for that as well. Our passage this morning comes from John chapter 13. I'm grateful that we're able to read in community with the help of our friends. And so now we turn to a discussion about these words of Jesus to his followers. I invite you to take a deep breath with me. And let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight today. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jason and I had been dating for about two months when we decided to take a road trip to Austin, Texas 
to see my sister and her husband who were expecting a baby. We lived in Abilene, Texas at the time, so the weekend excursion presented the opportunity to drive together in a moving vehicle for 240 miles in one direction. When you grow up making those drives on the Texas highways, you learn to measure distance in time. So what we're really talking about here is a four-hour drive one way, eight hours round trip. Jason and I had learned that for the past four years, we'd enjoyed friendships in common. We had many close mutual friends, but we hadn't met each other until just a few months before. And so we were looking forward to being able to learn more about each other as we talked along the road to Austin. We spoke and we laughed and we sang of music on the radio and at one point I turned to Jason and said I realized something recently over the past couple of months you have become my best friend Jason smiled warmly and he considered my statement that's so lovely Amy he replied I just don't think I'm quite there yet As you might imagine, we encountered a bit of an awkward silence in that moment, but just for a short period of time when I responded with something about being comfortable, about how I felt, and being willing to give him the time and the space that he needed to develop and share his own feelings at his own pace. And I meant that. I truly did. Jason took a deep breath and we continued to talk all the way to Austin and as I did I pondered how well that conversation really had gone. It wasn't lost on me that things could have fallen apart between us very quickly just moments before. If I had received Jason's words as rejection, which I very easily could have done and might have done in other relationships, or if Jason had felt undue pressure from me, which also was a distinct possibility, we could have found ourselves at odds with each other. It honestly struck me that in those vulnerable moments, we had been just a couple of sentences away from breaking up, and we still had miles and miles to go together. But I had not been worried about that even for a second. I knew how I felt, and I trusted that Jason would be honest with me about how he felt, as he always has been. It wouldn't be long after that conversation in the car before Jason shared with me that he also considered me to be his closest friend, and not long after that, he would speak those three powerful words, I love you, and he had the courage to say them first. Now, that's not unusual. Research actually shows that men say, I love you, first in a relationship on average 41 days sooner than women do. Of course, some people need more time than others, and some people hesitate to say the words, I love you, especially first. I wonder if that's why Jesus talked about showing love rather than about saying it. Let's think about that for a minute. Jesus spoke about showing love 
not about saying I love you. We'll talk more about that later. The weight that we human beings put on these verbal expressions of love makes perfect sense on one hand. Saying I love you for the first time truly is one of the most vulnerable things that any human being can do. On the other hand, we use the word love so casually these days. I've told you before that Natalie's first independent sentence was I love cheese. Augie, our son, loves dinosaurs. Olivia, the two-year-old, loves running through the house, screaming, pretending that she's being chased by ghosts. Some of you might say that you love seeing the sun light up the Oregon Mountains, or perhaps you love reading a good book, or tacos. Who doesn't love tacos? We have one word for love in our language, and we guard it carefully, but use it so freely all at the same time. Our polarized use of the word love is affirmed by a quick reference to a dictionary, which defines the word as having great pleasure or interest in something, and also as having an intense feeling or showing deep affection for someone. So love in our language describes both having feelings for someone and finding pleasure in something. So it's no wonder that we struggle with when and how to speak this word. We know that the words we say and how and when we say them have an effect on other people. We know how the words of other people affect us. Kathy talked about this idea last week in her beautiful message, which was also rooted in the gospel according to St. John. She spoke to us about the voice of the shepherd, the voice of Jesus, and she told us it's much easier for us to follow the voice of Jesus when we have practiced listening to it. When we recognize the voice of Jesus ab above the din of the other voices in our lives, in our ears, in our heads. The voice of Jesus is a gift to us, beloved, a generous, compassionate gift, one that leads us to experience additional gifts along the way. That's what our current worship series, Two Gifts from Jesus, is all about. Today we'll focus on the gift of love, and next week we'll turn our attention to the gift of peace. Before we go much further, let's listen to the voice of Jesus again, this time from the Gospel of John. I give you a new commandment. Jesus says to his friends in chapter 13, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now, as we've said, the English language dictionary defines love as a great interest in something or a deep affection for someone the Bible, our holy text, has quite a bit to say about that word, too. Perhaps that's because the original languages in which our holy text was written include many different words for love. Sometimes the writers are using a general term, a love that could describe a lifelong commitment or a fleeting moment of beauty. 
Sometimes they speak of the love between friends or the love of parents toward their children. Sometimes they describe the love between romantic partners. Other times the focus is placed on the love that God has for us. God is love. God is love. After all, that's what the writer of the letter that we call 1 John says. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. And God loves the world. In fact, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Did anyone else memorize John 3.16 in the King James Version? It's the first verse I ever memorized, and the one that I recall most easily. It's an often misused verse, probably because it describes the heart of the power of God. God is love, and God loves so much that God is willing to give that love away. In other words, God loves first, and the result of God's love is more love. Our love, the love that grows within us, love for God and love for our neighbors, love for each other, love for others. Love one another, Jesus says, and he's not speaking off of the top of his head here. Jesus is a rabbi, after all, a great teacher in the Jewish faith. He knows the traditions. He's learned the Hebrew text. He'd memorized the passage from what we commonly call our Old Testament that shares the ancient command to love God with all of one's heart, soul, and strength. Jesus speaks in other parts in our New Testament of loving God and loving neighbor as the greatest commandment. And he's sharing this message about love as a new commandment, the words that we read today on the night that he would be arrested. At this point, Jesus already has shared the Passover meal with his companions. He's already washed their feet as an example of loving through service. He's already admitted that he knows that he'll be betrayed by someone in that very room. He'll say in just a few moments that he's aware that one of his closest friends will deny even knowing him. And he loves them anyway. He will serve them anyway. He will save them anyway. Precisely because he loves them. That kind of love, beloved, the kind of love that leads a person to go to hell and back again. Willingly for another person has to be more than simply a great interest in something or even deep affection for someone. The love of God is more than a feeling. The love to which Jesus calls us is an action, a series of actions, a pattern of behavior, a way of life that come, becomes what we are known for, a way of life that becomes what we are known for in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. By this one, everyone will know that you are my followers, Jesus says, if you have love for one another. And with these words, Jesus makes love the identifier 
of someone who follows him. Well, we already know that the word love is used to identify God. God is love, remember? And now Jesus says that love is an identifier of his followers. And the writer of the letter to the Galatians tells us that love is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, along with joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So let's take some stock here. Love, in our holy text, is used to identify, to define God, followers of Jesus, and life in the Spirit. Love describes God, followers of Jesus, and life in the Spirit. But what does that look like in daily life, in the life of real people like you and me who hesitate even to say the word love when it really matters, but say it carelessly when nothing is at stake? Jesus talks about that too. Specifically, Jesus says that we are supposed to love not just our friends, but our enemies. I promise he says it. If you don't believe me, you can turn to Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and again read the Sermon on the Mount. We have a tendency to let ourselves off the hook here, beloved. More often than not, we Christians, the good people that we are, we tell ourselves that we don't hate anyone and we certainly wouldn't call someone an enemy. These words are too strong to use in polite company. Maybe they're not strong enough. Just to be clear, to hate is to feel intense or passionate dislike. And an enemy is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. So to hate an enemy is simply to dislike someone who opposes us. To hate an enemy is to dislike someone who opposes us. Friends, we need to be honest here. We feel hatred at times. We have enemies. Some of you may have enemies in the room with you right now. It does no good to deny this truth. We have to be honest because we know we know what the damaging results of hate really are. Here's the good news. Jesus didn't say, when you follow me, you won't ever hate anyone ever again and you won't have enemies. What he said was that the grace of God has the power to transform our hatred into love so that we can love our enemies. This is something that we, as followers of Jesus, really need to get right because we still have miles and miles to go together. And the truth is, on the whole, we're not doing such a great job right now. Just look at the turmoil in the world. Think about the news coming out of Buffalo, New York. Think about what's going on in our own United Methodist Church. Humanity is reaping what we sow. So let me put it this way. Hating our enemies destroys the world. Loving them can heal it. Hating our enemies destroys the world. Loving them can heal it. 
This is what I truly believe St. Thomas Aquinas was envisioning when he said, as I've mentioned before, to love is to will the good of another. To love is to will the good of another. In other words, love is not about what we say. Love is not about what we say. Love is about what we do. This is exactly why I wasn't upset with Jason in that car ride long ago on that Texas highway when he wasn't ready to say certain words. I already knew that he loved me. I already knew that he loved me because of the way that he treated me. He didn't have to say it. But a couple of months later, he did. And he said it first. Jesus told his friends that they would be known by the way they love, not just the people who love them, but also their enemies. So the question for us to ponder today is, if we couldn't use words to call ourselves Christian, how would people know? If we couldn't label ourselves with our words, how would people know where our allegiances lie? How do they know, beloved? The answer is love. Jesus said they would know us by the nature and the quality and the expression of our love. And once again, we're not talking about our words here. Others will know we're doing more than simply claiming the name of Christian and actually following Jesus by the way that we love by the way that we love, by the acts of love that they receive from us. And that's also exactly how we know that we have fully accepted the gift of love from Jesus when we're willing to give it away, especially to people whom we don't like. Amen. Amen.